thanks for tuning in to the Adulting is Easy podcast. This is your host, Lauren, and I am bringing you a Twitter space recording from last week, August 4th. It was our Wealth Wednesday space, although we did record on Thursday this week, to accommodate the schedules of Oh Hi Andy and Uncommon Yield, who I learned his name is David this week. We talked about crypto. Um, these two guys, along with Stephen Wealthy, are crypto miners. They mine Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Flux. They also have a lot of experience in other areas of crypto. We talked about mining. We talked about nodes. We talked about the different exchanges. We talked about tokenized real estate, rug pulls, how to avoid scams, how to get started in crypto mining, things like that. I learned a ton, and I know you will too. Welcome, everyone, to Wealth Wednesday, albeit on a Thursday. We have been trying to plan and organize this for just about over a month. We wanted to get together the best crypto mines that we could think of and talk about mining crypto, where it's at today and where it's going in the future. And on the panel tonight, we have three crypto miners, myself, Andy, and Uncommon Yield. And I am really looking forward to hearing from them and picking their minds. Uh, this is also an opportunity for you to come up to the front and ask questions as well, too. If you have a question about cryptocurrencies, mining, how to get started, request the microphone and come on up. We'd love to hear from you. And this is a chance to ask people who are in the industry full-time, making money, stacking Bitcoin, running flux nodes, mining Ethereum. Uh, this doesn't happen every time, every day. So with that, we'll get started. We'll just go through quick with our panel here. Uh, we'll start with Andy and then Uncommon Yield. Just a quick intro on how you guys manage cryptocurrencies. Hey, Steve. Thanks for having me. Uh, so, yeah. My name is Andy, and I talk about crypto and passive income and wealth building and stuff here on Twitter and on YouTube. You can find me as your friend Andy, and I also run a community called Sleep Money Club, where we talk all about crypto education. That's me. Cool. Uh, uh, my name is David. Uh, or, or, um, my handle is Uncommon Yield. So everyone just call me here, David. It'll be easier. Uncommon Yield. That's too long. Um, uh, I, I like to take a contrarian view of finance and kind of look at things from a first principles view and kind of see what's there. Uh, I really, I love crypto a lot. I run some nodes, I mine Bitcoin uh, and some other stuff. And I'm excited just to, to talk with everybody here, kind of see uh, what everyone's thoughts are on the market. It's, a, it's been a crazy market recently. Yeah, definitely. It's been a crazy market and I'm super excited to have you guys with us. Uh, we'll round it off, Lauren and then Tom, and then I'll go last. Hey guys, I am Lauren. I am at Adulting is Easy. This is being recorded. It'll be on my podcast feed very soon. I'm very passionate about wealth building and retiring. I'm normally real estate and stocks and things like that. So looking forward to listening to you guys and learning tonight. Hello, everyone. My name is Tom. I go by the frugal gay here. I am also heavily invested in real estate. The most crypto thing that I have is a gay shrimp nft and i do own some tokenized real estate thank you for letting me learn tonight thank you tom and you're the proxy for the audience as you have audio, uh, questions and stuff uh please ask them away because i think you have a good unique mi mindset of wealth 
real estate, how to avoid scams, but also a keen interest in cryptocurrencies as well, too. So I'm looking forward to hearing from you tonight. Um, for myself, I'm Stephen Wealthy. I am a full-time Ethereum miner. Um, been mining since... Actually, this might be around two-year anniversary for me. I started doing it in lockdown, and it's been a terrific source of passive income during 2021. Uh, and I think, Andy, you can attest to this. The Ethereum mining revenue was completely bonkers. I think I was making $8,500 a month in February of 2021 and absolutely fell in love with cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, and I've written three guides. If you go off my Twitter profile, and I'll actually I'll pin it up in the nest if you guys don't mind. Just give me one second to do that. Okay, so if you go off the pin tweet that I have there into the nest. Off of that, I have three mining guides there. There's, you can download them tonight. You can actually start with a gaming PC. So if you have like a really old gaming PC from 2015, 2017, it won't make a whole lot of money, but it at least proves the concept out. And you can build and scale up from there. And that's how I got started. I started off with just a normal gaming PC, I think I made 10 bucks and I'm like, I want to scale this up. And that's one of the beautiful things with cryptocurrencies and interested to pick Andy and David's brains on how they started and how they scaled up because I don't think where they are today is where they started. So I'd like to hear some more about that. Andy, can you start us off with how you, what's your, what's your take on cryptocurrencies and the market today? and maybe a little bit of your story and how you got into it. Yeah, sure. So um, uh, that's a very broad um, question. My take on crypto is that I like it. I think it's awesome. Uh, I think it's the future. I think uh, we are at the place where, you know, the internet was and the dot-com bust and all that, and we're going, going through a series of crashes to see what uh, sticks What's the future? Uh, we're still very early, in my opinion, uh, but there's a big, bright future ahead for crypto. Uh, and I got started in, um, by hearing about Bitcoin once upon a time back in 2012, 2013, and I thought it sounded stupid, so I ignored it. And then in 2014, I tried to build a mining rig to mine Litecoin, and I bought a little bit of Bitcoin at the time when Bitcoin was like $300 per coin. Um, and then I missed it again. And then in 2017, it all kind of came together and stuck. And then we had a big run up and I got real excited and I bought a bunch of stuff that I probably shouldn't have bought, lost a bunch of money. Uh, but this time, third time's a charm, Andy did not give up. Uh, and I actually stuck with it and just figured, hey, there's something here. This I think this is the future probably. Um, and so I just started learning as much as I could. And I, I lifted my foot off the accelerator pedal, a pedal of throwing money at this crypto thing and just spent a lot of time learning. And then I kind of sailed my way into it. And one of the main ways I did that was with uh, mining and mining is something that has made me hundreds of thousands of dollars. I am a big proponent of it. I've done mostly what is called spec mining or speculative mining, uh, picking things that are newly launched, mining them before people have heard about them and then holding on to them for either shorter term or in my case, mostly long term and hoping that they, uh, they blow up and some of them have, and it's been good. 
that's the short version of, uh, of all the crypto history there. And when you say blow up, you mean go to the moon, right? Oh, yes. Blowing up and exploding in the most positive sense possible. Exactly, exactly. Although I've had okay. more than my share of ones that blew up to the negative. <laughs> okay, awesome. Uh, David, I want to come to you and hear more about your story of how you got started. But Andy, if you could, I know you do Bitcoin mining and you have a YouTube video on that. While David's speaking, could you find that and pin it up in the nest there so people could go watch that later on if they can? Um, but while you were looking for that, David, how did you start with cryptocurrencies? So I got started in um, probably 2020s when I actually dipped my toe in, uh, like probably about two years ago around today. Um, so I had gotten excited about Bitcoin, learning about it in 2017 when it kind of was going really high. Uh, didn't spend enough time really to learn how to buy it and saw it crash and I'm like well that's interesting you know but kind of kept my eye on it didn't really do anything else with it and then you know the uh, with everything going on in the economy in 2020 there's lockdown there wasn't a lot to do I saw the government printing a bunch of money and I'm like man like I I gotta do something I gotta figure out something somewhere to put my money to to get some yield on it somewhere to put my money to that, that were that it just can't be inflated away. <clears throat> but the gold didn't really like that too much. Uh, ended up finding uh, you know some crypto services that were doing lending. So I started lending a little bit of cash, buying a little bit of Bitcoin and Ethereum, and kind of going from there. And then um, made friends Andy on Twitter, and um, he uh, kind of talked me through setting my first flux node. I pestered him with a gazillion questions, uh, and he was really kind and, and helping me get started. And uh, yeah, just kind of went from there. I really like uh, I really like Bitcoin a lot. That's that's my main holding, and I really like like crypto projects that actually do something. So I think NFTs are interesting. Uh, I think art's cool, but you know I don't really understand the fine art, so I don't own any fine art. Um, so I don't own any F- NFTs, but I think some of the some of the infrastructure that people are starting to build in crypto are really interesting, and I like to invest in, in those kind of projects and be involved there. Yeah, and it's um, it's been tough, right, um, with the implosions lately of a few cryptocurrency projects. And you do a lot of, or you did do a lot of stablecoin lending. Is I did, yeah, yeah, you I did. did. Yeah, I don't do I don't do any of that anymore. Um, so I remember I read an article about um, Celsius. Uh, this is probably like back in June, where they had their head of institutional lending. That's pretty important. Uh, role for somebody that's doing lending out in the community and she was like 24 years old now like i I don't really care if somebody's young but that's pretty unusual to have somebody that young being the head of institutional an institutional lending book that's you know billions and billions of dollars um so i pulled my funds then uh out of um out of uh out of celsius and i got most of my money out before that and um when uh uh, terror, terror crashed. Um, I got lucky. I think I got you know, about ninety cents on the dollar out there, um, and, and then and then I just pulled out of everything after stuff with Celsius happened. And I'm like, I, I'm not gonna risk it. It's um, it, it seems like there's there's something going on. And then we had stuff with Voyager happen, and I had money there previously, so I got really fortunate. I pulled money out of Gemini too, which they seem to be okay in BlockFi, but I. 
Um, but yeah, I, just, I totally pulled out of all crypto lending for the moment. It's been incredible. Like, we share some DMs back and forth. And the way you handled getting out of all of those, it's almost like genius level. I don't know how you how you did it. It's very, very impressive. Uh, so congratulations on being able to get out and stay ahead of that. That's what's, I think, difficult sometimes with cryptocurrencies is trying to stay ahead of everything. Lauren, you have your hand up? Do you have a question yeah. for, for I, I, us? I'll just say, oh, yeah, I, sure, I yeah. appreciate you calling me a genius, but definitely not a genius. I just got really lucky. So there's tons of really smart people that got super burned. Um, I think one of the things I've learned in crypto is as soon as something seems kind of off in a project, it's time to kind of get out. <laughs> so, uh, and, that, and that's what I did. Uh, and, and not to... And not to hesitate with that. So sorry to interrupt Lauren, but yeah, definitely no, not a genius. Just got super lucky. <clears throat> I did the same with Solana. I've been investing quite a bit into that. And then when they just had outage after outage, I'm like, I'm out. This is enough of this. I took a hit and a loss on my Solana holdings, but uh, I was able to get out before this latest fiasco with uh, wallets getting drained. Lauren, over to you. Hey, guys. And, and this may be a super basic question because I'm really more crypto curious than anything else but can you explain why exchanges are crashing and having liquidity issues in like the most basic way possible david i think that's a that's a you yeah. question because you yeah you this perfect so uh so Lauren, it's, it's a great question um so how lending in crypto works specifically in, in finance where it's done well and i think it's, it's held up pretty well for the most part, is there, people um, have over-collateralized loans. So it's like taking a HELOC out on your house. It's like, okay, like you have $100,000 to equity in your house. Uh, you want to take out a loan for $50,000. Like, you know, that's, the lender's fine. They're, they're covered. If you don't, if you're not good for that loan, they can go and they can take your house and they can sell it. Same thing with crypto. You can do that in DeFi. It's not a problem. And there's a lot of folks that got in early to crypto like Andy and earlier than Andy have, you know, millions and millions of dollars. Well, that's really expensive if you want to access that capital, if you want to sell it. But one of the things you can do is you can take a loan on it, right? Um, so services like BlockFi and Celsius, that's what they would do is they would offer you loans on over-collateralized loans. That's what they said that they were doing. Um, what they ended up doing is they ended up giving uncollateralized loans. So they just gave money away, um, to different entities, uh, the main one being Three Arrows Capital, which is like a, which was the biggest, smartest crypto hedge fund, and they just went full vegan and um, just made huge bets, uh, specifically in Terra. Uh, that's one of the things that went bad for them, uh, and that there was nothing to back that loan anymore. So, um, yeah, that's what that's how you that's how those. Um, not exchanges, I would say, like those lending platforms generate yield is by giving money to somebody that is going to use it. And we could go into details on like what kind of stuff that they were doing with it typically, but uh, they did not manage risk well and gave out huge uncollateralized loans. And then when one project went belly up, there this was the cascading effect through crypto. And one of the things for everybody to realize in crypto is that there's just a ton of leverage in the system a ton of leverage in the system. So when you look at, like, you go on to Binance, um, so up here in the U.S., you can't do it as much, but you go to Binance, you could trade 100x on a coin. You know, that's crazy, right? It's absolutely insane. So when things go sideways, they go 
or things go down, they go down really fast. When things go up, they can go up really fast because there's so much leverage. So um, it just is like leverage in the system, too much leverage in the system, uh, and then uh, just not big institutions not managing risk well is what happened. Thank you. I didn't even know it was like lending related. So that's really helpful. Thank you, David. Sure. Do you have a follow-up question on that one, Lauren, at all? Or is that a good... Um, Are you questioning my ability to understand this stuff? <laughs> well, you no, know, not at all. There's a lot of details there. You know, the cascading loans and, you know, why are they even allowed to give out uncollateralized loans or just giving away free money? Like, what, what's all that about? And stuff? Yeah, no, the, the real estate comparison, of course, worked really well for me. And I'm thinking back to 08 and mortgage-backed securities and things like that. But the only follow-up thought I had, I don't know that it's really a question, is the kind of correlation between crypto currencies or, or different crypto projects where if one goes bad, people start getting worried about others and then they start, I don't know, dropping in, in value or having problems. So I was kind of, that's the only kind of follow-up thought that I had, David. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question, So. It was a really unique situation. So when and here, I mean, there's always it's always a unique situation, right? When something goes this bad, the Terra Foundation they so they they came up with an algorithm algorithmic stablecoin called UST, and there was this mechanism to balance it between their their currency Luna and UST to keep UST like at at a dollar. Um, Made sense, it makes a lot of sense. The thing is, there's when you have an algorithmic stablecoin like that, there's nothing that backs it up, like a fiat kind of thing. So to give some people comfort that UST was legit, they started buying lots of Bitcoin to back it up and to defend to uh, to, to back up that peg to justify that valuation. Well, when there was somebody came in and attacked that peg, they tried to move it off a dollar, and they were successful with it. Then the you know, Terra Foundation they started selling all of their Bitcoin, and once you start selling all the Bitcoin, that puts downward pressure on the entire market because it was billions of dollars of Bitcoin. Even though it's a really liquid market, that's that's a lot to sell in a very short period of time. And then you know once you have everybody that has leverage in the system, right? So all that downward pressure just starts liquidating people, and it happens really fast. It's not like a it's not like your stock broker that's calling you to add more capital. It's like if it's on the blockchain, if you're liquidated, you're liquidated. There's no, there's no grace period. So it's just liquidations all down the, all down the path, and that's really what happened here. And then you know, it's just like um, in 2008, it's just contagion in the system, right? People start to not trust. There's everything's kind of going weird, and then everybody starts capitulating and selling. So that's kind of like my take on my very uneducated take on what happened. Okay, one more question. I think why would someone attack the peg? Is it like a like a short squeeze or something? Yeah. Like what? It, why would people do that? Yeah, yeah, they they're, they made money on the other side. Is what they were doing. Um, they were they they were making a spread off of off of that. I can't remember the exact mechanism, but there was like a, a big financial game to do it. All right, awesome. Thank you, David. Um, for everyone in the audience, if you haven't already. Give everyone on the panel up here a follow. These are all incredible accounts with good knowledge and experience with cryptocurrencies. 
And if you have any questions that you would like to ask us, please request for the microphone and we'll get you up here so you can ask those away. Andy, why don't you step us through the thread that you put up in the nest? Uh, you are a legitimate Bitcoin miner. Like you're not doing it with a yield farm. You're not doing it with an exchange. You legit mine Bitcoin with ASICs. Why don't you step us through that? Yeah, sure. So um, I have, I'm a, I'm a big um, fan of Bitcoin. It is, well, for the longest time, it was my biggest holding until Flux came around. But um, it's certainly the, uh, the thing I have the most confidence in, the most conviction about long-term in, in crypto. Uh, and so for the longest time, I've really, really wanted to um, directly. However, um, residential electricity in most places uh, is not um, going to be very cost effective for mining Bitcoin. And these machines are extremely hot and so noisy. So um, I've kind of been on the lookout for a place to host machines and then to buy them. Um, and uh, I found uh, Musk miners who uh, I really like those guys. I've chatted with them a bunch of times. I've been to their facility. I've toured. I've met them in person and stuff. So I have a lot of trust uh, for them. I vouch for them. And so I bought uh, six um, uh, Bitcoin ASICs through them. They're in a container in the Texas desert and they are um, being powered by electricity that comes out of a generator that is powered by um, natural gas that was being flared and um, dumped into the atmosphere and partially burned into the atmosphere. Um, so I'm not only mining Bitcoin, but I'm saving the planet while I'm at it. Kind of. Um, so anyways, but I, I made a, a quick uh, investment into uh, the 60s machines. I'm about to double my position. I'm about to buy uh, at least six more probably before the end of the month. And uh, right now my machines, um, you can buy the ones I have, you can buy for about $5,000 or so per machine, I believe right now the prices. But they will make me uh, one full Bitcoin mined in a little less than um, a year, a few weeks less than a year. Um, they will pay for themselves in a little less than two years. Um, but the beautiful thing is once they've paid for themselves, once they've made the money back that I would have otherwise um, had those rewards if I just bought them directly. Um, after they've broken even, they will then make me uh, Bitcoin at a discount because I would just be paying electricity for these paid off machines that they will continue to mine, hopefully for four or five uh, plus years or with regular maintenance. And if Bitcoin's price goes high enough, like I think it will, they might continue being profitable beyond year five, uh, but it's a very long-term um, investment and it's a very passive one. Once they're uh, purchased, once they're hosted, I don't think about them. They just operate and every, every morning I wake up and there's more Bitcoin in my wallet. It's kind of a beautiful thing. Okay, so I've, I've, I've always wanted this. So miners, you work with them and you buy the ASIC miner. It was an S19, was it, that you bought through them? You got yep. bought six of them? And then they host it at their facility. They run it, manage it, do the heat, do the electricity, and then they they bill you once a month. Yep. Yeah. They just uh, send me a bill, and I send over the money for the the hosting, which is all the electric and hosting fees all wrapped up into one. They just okay. charge a flat fee for the electric rate. Nice. Okay. And then every day, the the Bitcoin that you mine gets deposited into your Bitcoin wallet. Yeah, and that's purely up to you on uh, which mining pool you use and what the payout structure you uh, do is they don't ever touch my Bitcoin. Um, my pool is plugged into my machines. 
Um, and if, you don't, if people know what a mining pool is, it's just where a bunch of machines all come together to mine Bitcoin together more effectively. And then the pool then pays out the Bitcoin that everyone collectively mines to each individual person. Um, anyways, you set that up on your own. That has nothing to do with your the host, in this case, Musk Miners. And uh, it pays in the pool I've chosen. It happens to pay me out every day sometime between 5 and 10 p.m. But yeah, every day I get paid out. So it's not sleep money then if you're getting paid at five or ten PM unless you're really old. You know, I'm on that I'm on that seventy five year old uh schedule. So I get in bed at like six thirty and then just wait for that sleep money to roll in. It's beautiful. <laughs> okay. So that so you just sorry to belabor this a little more, but so you get paid into your Bitcoin wallet, you could take some of that, sell some if you wanted to, pay for your hosting fee every month. And you could just stack and keep Bitcoin in that wallet and do what you want with it. You could sell it. You could keep it. You could hold on to it because you think the price is going to go up, whatever you want, right? Correct. Yeah. Uh, but I, yeah, I, I let mine just accumulate in a wallet and I don't touch it. I pay my hosting fees out of my own pocket. I don't just cash out any Bitcoin to do that. I want as much Bitcoin sitting in a wallet for as many years as possible. Okay. So, David, I want you to step us through Bitcoin from an investment thesis? Oh, man. Um, so I think uh, from a from an investment thesis standpoint, the, 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 the biggest thing is there's only ever going to be 21 million Bitcoin. That's it. The government can't print any more money, any more Bitcoin. There's only 21 million Bitcoin. That's, that's the... The meme there, I think, is kind of the, is the message. Um, so, you know, as the government does and what happens with every fiat currency that's ever existed anywhere is the government prints more money to get themselves out of problems. Uh, just what they do. Um, and it's just, a, it's a, it seems to repeat over and over and over again. Um, why is uh, why is Bitcoin successful from a, from a, I don't know, from overall, um, that's that's more complicated, but I think one of the things that Michael Saylor says, uh, he said it on the podcast with Robert Breedlove. Um, he did a, a really you know, great eight-part series uh, talking about Bitcoin. Is talking about how Bitcoin is the best um, is is uh, an analog. Of, sorry, Bitcoin is like the electric or electronic represent, representation of every best analog system. Um, and it's like stored energy. So, you know, like, like Andy mines Bitcoin, you have to use electricity to actually like to acquire it. You have to use machines to acquire it. You know, I, I, I mine it too. You, you, you can't just like fake it, you know. Uh, I think proof of stake is cool. And I think there's some really neat applications to it. But when we talk about money uh, being a base layer, it's really, really important. It's hard to create. Um, and there's something that's really tangible that backs it. Um, and there's also, it's just, it's the most decentralized, you know, project out there. There's tons and tons of hash power um, all over the world um, pointed at it. So it's really hard for anybody to corrupt it. Governments can't shut it down. China banned it. And, you know, they're one of the most repressive governments in the world. And it wasn't a big deal. It was barely a blip. Blocks kept coming out. No problem. Uh, it wasn't really a big deal. So um, it's the most secure it's the biggest, it's the most decentralized, and the government can't mess with it. You know, 
So I think that's the, to me, like those are like the, the biggest deals when it comes to Bitcoin. Yeah, awesome, I'll thanks. tag on there yeah, and say sure that. Is, oh, uh, I'll say that. Um, yeah, for me, I mean, I guess everybody. Those are some of the kind of fundamentals of Bitcoin. I guess everybody has their own kind of thesis. Um, if you are a Bitcoin investor, as to why you invest, but um, my kind of Bitcoin investing thesis is: I believe it will be um, a world reserve asset or world reserve currency. It'll be some um, major player in the world economy in the future. Uh, because of all the things that Dave just said, uh, including it's uh, you can't change the supply, the max supply of it. Um, it's a very finite uh, thing. It's uh, uncontrollable. It's very hard money. It's analogous to gold, um, digital gold. Um, but yeah, it's just backed up by this, uh, it, if not the most powerful uh, computerized network on the planet, one, certainly one of the most powerful. Um, and it has all this incredible... Um, all this incredible technology and and uh, runway so far 13 year track uh, record so far uh, going for it that it just in my mind it seems inevitable that um, you know it's going to have a many times multi-trillion dollar market cap I think it's going to eat gold's market cap I think it's going to swallow up 11 trillion dollars uh, pretty easily and then continue on gobbling up until um, it absorbs lots and lots of the uh, market caps uh, uh, around the globe, and then it'll be this uh, this monster powered by this incredible network. Thank you, Andy. Um, Tom, you had a question for us. I just wanted to know if we could touch on tokenized real estate, since I've got two experts here. What do you guys think about tokenized real estates? Because I get inundated with DMs from all these different companies trying to get me to talk about tokenized real estate, to buy tokenized real estate, to invest in tokenized real estate. And it's not every Thursday that we have two experts in the room. So I'd like to know your guys' opinions on tokenized real estate. Dave maybe has better and more opinions on this than I do, but I will say the things I like about the idea is I like that you can take something big and chop it up into lots of small pieces and uh, make it very easy for people to buy into that, make it very easy for them to give a, a distribution route for um, you know, rents and, and incomes and stuff, uh, cash flow coming from uh, said property and whatever. I like all that stuff. Um, and I also like that when you build a, um, you know, whatever, whatever system you're building this on, uh, a lot of the tokenized stuff is done with NFTs and, and things, but underpinning it is some form of smart contract. I like that there's some programmatic element to it that you can kind of say, here's all the rules, here's who owns this. And you kind of write it in code and people say, you know, code is law and you kind of, uh, you can't corrupt that system or break that system or whatever. Uh, on the flip side, the things I'm a little iffy about is that, you know, uh, people make mistakes, people uh, have errors and, um, and exploitability in, uh, in things they write. And so you're then, you know, without, upgradable uh, smart contracts. You're then making things that are kind of set in stone for better or for worse. So I think it's a really interesting thing. I think we're probably really super early to maybe I wouldn't, I don't know if I completely trust it myself unless it was on a blockchain that had ability to kind of mend those things on the fly. Um, but uh, it's certainly a very, very appealing idea, I think, long-term for me, but I don't, I don't own any, I'm not in any, uh, but I believe Dave is, so you can probably speak on it better than I can. Yeah, I used to, I had a little bit in Lofty Try it out. So it's like probably one of the ones that have you've either looked at or have contacted you, Tom. Um, yeah, I think Andy like 
Uh, online use case is really cool. If anybody's ever bought a house, I mean, it's such a freaking pain in the butt, and the amount of documentation is just ridiculous. So being able to sign over, um, you know, ownership uh, and do it really quickly is amazing. I mean, that's really really cool. Um, I think with all those projects, you know, it, you're just you're just as good as the project that you're investing in. So if Lofty does a really good job, that's great. If you know any of the other, I don't honestly I don't know the other projects I haven't looked at them, but if they do a really good job, then it's awesome. If you buy a house that or property that ends up cash flowing, perfect. That's great. But I don't know. I, I have some friends that are on Twitter and they have some properties, and it's just you know it's maintenance issues, tenant issues. The, the normal stuff you get with real estate, uh, and it's hands off, which is nice. I mean, they're not having to, to deal with it, but it's not, it's, it's bumpy. Um, and I, I just don't think it's, um, there's also with Lofty too, I don't know if anybody's aware, but there was um, some, some potential like conflict of interest going on where people within the companies, like their family, they were selling on Lofty, and it's kind of hard to know, like, unless you go into the really fine details like you think Lofty's like curating all the properties that are there, they're not. It's just uh, actually like a, just a marketplace for people to sell. So, I mean, I think it's a cool idea. I think it'd be, it'd be really useful. Um, it's kind of a, it's a different tax structure, so you can write off depreciation on it as well. So it's like in, uh, um, unlimited, you're, like a, you're a limited partner uh, when you do it. So that's, that's nice. Um, I think there's a lot of potential, but I just, I don't think it's quite there yet. So. Tom, that uh, given that you've been, people have reached out to you about these, I'm assuming you've probably glanced at them or looked them over. I'm very curious from your point of view, being maybe not as much of a crypto person as us, why what's interesting about it in your, in your mind? So, yes, I have. And Lofty's one of the, I, I think it's probably been five or six at this point that have reached out. Um, Lofty that I've tried, and I did the same thing as, as Uncommon Yield, where I, I've, put a few hundred dollars in and I don't, I, I think it's very early. And, and what, what's attractive is when I get DMS from people all day that want to get into real estate and they have $5,000 or $10,000. So it's a very low point of entry and it makes it accessible to people who otherwise couldn't, you know, you're not going to get a crazy house for a five with a $5,000 down payment. So it opens up doors to those who traditionally couldn't be able to touch it. I do think it's very early. It does make me nervous, just like all the things that uncommon yield just named out. So I think like uh, both of you just said, it's, it's early and that's why I've stuck my toe in the water. And that's all I'm doing at this point is sticking my toe in the water and waiting to see how it plays out. Lauren, have you tried tokenized real estate yet? No, I'm so heavily exposed to real estate as it is. I mean, our net worth is, it's just because of what real estate has done versus what the stock market has done, especially this year. It's, it's really lopsided towards real estate. So I haven't, I've been really, we've been pounding our brokerage account more. Um, but I think, you know, the more we talk about it, the more I think I'll do exactly what Tom did. I keep thinking I need to put like five or 10 grand in, but I'll put a few hundred bucks in. Like, I don't, I don't know why I haven't done that yet. So that's now as of right now on my mental to-do list. Yeah. Like I, the website that David and, and uh, Tom were talking about is lofty.ai. It is very easy to start up and 
sign up and get going, you can buy, I think the minimum is $50, and you buy a token within a property, and then you get paid uh, rent daily or monthly. Um, my experience so far with it has been very positive. I get paid regularly. They update the value on the tokens once a month. And I have had problems with tenants where they don't pay. There's a major repair or there's an eviction. And when those happen, they email you and you get to vote what you want to do. So <laughs> one of them was, if you want to evict the tenant, do you want to do it immediately, give them two weeks or give them a month? And I put my vote in for just give them a month. I don't care. Give them some time. So that was really nice. But the contrarian in me also thinks there's this is a place that could be really scammy. And so how I would want to play it going forward is have a little bit in so you got to get some exposure to see how it works. Gain some experience. And then when, I hate to say it, but an inevitable crash or problem pops up, like they skirted regulations or something like that, they'll all crater and crumble. And then you can pick up the one that survives or is able to get through. I think Lofty has a good chance of doing that, but we'll, we'll see as we go forward there. But uh, I, I like tokenized real estate. I think the idea is fantastic because, like Tom was saying, yeah, it gives people who don't have 100 or 200K a chance to get in without leverage and get some rental income. Lauren? I was just wondering if we could, and we don't have to do this right now. It just popped into my head. Can we talk about like scams and recognizing scams? Yes, please. Let's do it. Who has been exposed to the most scams? My, okay, Lauren's already been exposed to scams already. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was trying to put it down. No, I have not. I solidly have not. I've listened to you and Andy and you and Andy only. So I have Ethereum and Bitcoin and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, my my only scam that I've been part of, it's not really a scam. It's just Solana, the price crashed from 200 down to, or sold it at 60 and it's down into the into the 40s now. That's, that's been my only experience so far. Andy or David, have either of you felt like a rug pull or been part of, or if you, do you have tips for us on how to avoid scams? Yeah, so I mean, I've had plenty of Project of Zero. I've had plenty of, projects that have been rug pools um and uh yeah and being uh ha running sleep money club being a community we've had lots of members come in and they've had their wallets hacked or you know take your pick take your flavor of the month a uh, scam uh yeah so when it comes to like crypto and being safe uh the the main thing is um like don't trust anyone like ex expect everybody is out to get you to have you're gonna set up a crypto wallet at some point and uh, when you set up a crypto wallet, it's going to spit out either a private key or a seed phrase. Um, and these are the keys to your wallet. And these are things you keep to yourself and you never share with a soul. You don't even store them online. Preferably, you write them on paper and keep them in a safe um, uh, or something like that. But whatever you do, just like your email password and stuff, you never want to give that information out online. Uh, there's going to be people who DM you on Twitter um, or DM you in Discord if you're in there or whatever, co contact you in some way. Um, and they're going to say, I'm a help representative for this uh, this uh, crypto exchange or something, and I need your private key or I need your seed phrase to unlock your funds or to help you out. 
or you're going to go to some website that's like a wallet website or something. And to access it, you have to put in your seed phrase. Anytime anything online, person or otherwise, asks you for your password, your seed phrase, your private key, just say no. You just run away. You just uh, that's always that's always going to be a scam. No one legitimate should ever be asking for any of those things in the crypto space. So avoid all that uh, like plague. Um, also, is popular in DeFi that you have these online wallets. You have like your MetaMask and stuff. And when you go to certain, you go to various websites that are also that are crypto projects, DeFi protocols, etc. It's going to immediately ask you to connect your wallet and stuff. And people just blindly click yes on these things. So always read, always verify it's the actual site you want to be on. Read exactly what it's asking for for permission before you connect it, and be very slow to connect your wallet to things because you could be giving over permission to drain your wallet. Uh, and then uh, a lot of people maybe aren't as deep into crypto as, as some of us are uh, on the panel. And so maybe you just have your coins in the, you know, Coinbase or whatever. Um, and in that case, it's just same thing as with your email. Like, don't give out your password. Don't do those things. But also consider, even though it is a little bit riskier, the self-custody thing. Because as Dave has already um, highlighted People had their money in Celsius, on Voyager, in these places, and we thought these things were safe places to hold your crypto. Not that if you have a third party who probably is dealing in some kind of unregulated section of the, the world with high risk, high leverage things going on, if something happens to them, they usually in their terms and conditions have somewhere in there that says, uh, we have no obligation to give you your money back to some degree. So just be really careful about where you keep your money online in the crypto world um, and be really careful about who you share uh, information with. Um, it's just like your bank account. You're not going to give your bank account to people, a bank account number. Uh, so do the same with uh, your, your crypto keys and stuff. Don't give it out to folks. Um, and just be really careful what you click. And also anything that you click on or read about that sounds too good to be true, almost certainly is. Yeah, 100%. Those are all really good points, Andy. I think uh, especially if you're in DeFi and you're just kind of learning things, uh, or if you're, you're just trying to investigate projects, I think having a burner wallet, you know, so just having just creating an extra MetaMask wallet that you don't even care about, that you don't have anything in, um, use that to connect to it just to kind of see how it works and maybe use a small, have a small amount of funds in there um, before you, you know, really go go uh, really deep into one. Um, Self-custody, I think, as Andy mentioned, is really important. Uh, but as far as, like, uh, yeah, identifying scams. If you don't know what the yield is, you're the yield. You're the exit liquidity for somebody else. Um, so you know, there's a there's a lot of things that <laughs> happened in the last year. Uh, gosh, it was just so crazy. You had like own and time. I mean, that was just back in December. Then we had uh, everything Terra Luna crash, and now we've had these big uh, centralized um, you know players crash. So um, I think just really like, owning your own stuff and uh, making sure that if the yield seems too good, then it probably is. I know that there's this one, and I'll just go ahead and call them out because I just think it's a total scam. It's a freeway um, that you'll see here, and they just have like, a bunch of bots that will like attack you. If you say anything about their, their token, they say that they use some magic trading thing to make 65% yield. I was like, that's just BS. Like, there's, there's no way. If they were making 65% yield, they don't need my money. You know, like, why do they need my money? Just go ahead and just make 65% yield, and it's crazy. Um, so, um, yeah, it, it probably is. Um, and it's unregulated, so there's just, there's more opportunity um, for it. Um, I'll say, too, just with, like, crypto projects, so you, 
there are ones that you'll get wrong, right? Right? And they're just they're trying to do something cool and it's just not there yet. Um, so a deeper connect, like that's one of the projects that that I uh, am in. I know Andy uh, is too. They have a really cool VPN uh, pro product and uh, security product. The hardware works great. Uh, I think the project is it's kind of on like last leg. So um, it's a cool idea. Uh, I don't know if it's going to survive, but um, it's not looking great. But I, I think that you know just try to invest in stuff that you think actually has a chance. You know, to, to do something cool. It's trying to actually do something neat. Yeah, I remember. Last point. Oh, I'm sorry, Steve. No, go, go Andy. I was going to say real, real quick that last point that Dave just mentioned, I think, is really important. Um, lots of newer people uh, in crypto, uh, a, they invest in a project and the project uh, folds and fails. It's not a rug pull, it's not a scam, it's not an exploit. They, uh, they had a cool idea and it just didn't work out. Uh, that's very common, and you should expect that to happen. Uh, but the gut reaction that most people uh, re will reply or or experience is this is a scam. I'm being scammed, you know, what, whatever. Uh, and that's just uh, not true. It's like it's just the reality. Most of these things are going to fail, but you hopefully find the winners amongst all the uh, uh, the losers and uh, find some stuff that lasts long term. But I think the important thing is, is that you just don't give up because you're going to inevitably find stuff that does not work out. Uh, but there's so many good things and so much interest, so many interesting things happening in crypto that it's such a shame when people write it all off as a big and then they never revisit it. Thanks, Andy. That's that's fantastic. And David, I remember when you had that one tweet where you, you said, uh, what was the crypto top for you? What was the marker for the top in a I forget what project it was that you shared, but it was uh, 79,000. Time. Time. <laughs> time. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderland time. It, it, you know, that's this project. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was too good to be true. I should, I should have cashed out. I got my money back, but, but I was making, you know, a hundred dollars time a day. Yeah. I'm like no money. I'm like really any money. So I should have taken it out. That's awesome. <laughs> Lesson learned. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, what's your what's your threshold of like if it's above X percent, you start to get skeptical, but if it's at or below, you're like, okay, maybe there's some legs on this. What what are some markers that you guys use for finding a quality project? Um, I don't know that I have specific amounts. Uh, certainly, if it's you know it's a hundred thousand percent APY or something, then I might initially roll my eyes. Uh, but I will say that with lots of these things, like Dave just said, even if their yield is out of control, unsustainable, and a total joke, it doesn't mean you can't make money with it. You just have to be smart about it, and you have to be in early, and you have to be out before everybody else gets out. Um, it's just tip, it's like typical Ponzi stuff. It's like you can make money in them, but um, you, have to, you have to have a very high risk tolerance, and you have to also be have your wits about stuff. So I don't generally recommend that people go all in on like the crazy uh, stuff, but yeah, generally if it's going to be many thousands of percent or even hundreds uh, uh, percent uh, yield per year, then there's probably something funky going on and it probably won't last. Uh, however, <clears throat> however, there are, um, there are exceptions to where they have some interesting idea and they have some mechanism in place where they might even last longer than average doing that. Uh, but really, what I advocate for is is uh, things that are much more on the reasonable spectrum uh, in the crypto space uh, as a foundational layer before you jump into all that kind of crazy uh, stuff. But it seems like these days, 
uh, if um, if the team isn't public, then that's an initial red flag. Um, if uh, they've got the crazy APYs and stuff, and there's no real um, way to explain how they're going to sustain that other than new people coming to the project, that's probably a red flag um, for greater than uh, a couple months of runway. Um, things like that. Uh, outlandish, you know, just, again, it's too good to be true stuff. If they're, like, promising they're going to create this revolutionary thing that's going to change. Meanwhile, people are, you know, making videos and tweeting about it left and right. They're making hundreds of thousands of dollars per day. Well, then, I don't know, maybe wait on that one for a while and see if it actually crumbles first before you, you jump into it or stuff like that. So, I don't know, a lot of it feels like common sense stuff, but honestly, a lot of it is just spending time in the space, getting used to it, making some mistakes, learning from those mistakes, hopefully not too big of mistakes, and then uh, building a better strategy going forward. Love it. Incredible information. Um, for those in the audience, if you have a question, please request the microphone. Matthew, I know you've been waiting for probably half an hour, and we got to get you up here to ask that question. My apologies for being slow on that. Uh, but if you haven't already, people, Follow everyone who's up here on the panel. We have Lauren, your friend Andy, Uncommon Yield, and the Frugal Gay. Uh, all terrific follows. Give them all a follow and uh, get some of their content every day. Um, Lauren, I, I, I see you got your hand up, but I want to hear from Matthew first. He's been waiting far too long. And then we'll turn it over to you. Hey, Matt. Hi, thank you for my question, and thanks to all the, the teachers on here today. I appreciate your, your value and content that you guys dish out on the regular. My question is if you, if you would quickly um, give us a little bit of a comparative analysis of Bitcoin, Ethereum, especially Ethereum going into the merge, what it'll look like after the merge, and Flux, so we can understand maybe the difference between those three and maybe what you see as uh, the future of mining in the next one, two to five years in those three uh, crypto spaces. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. Yeah, no, fantastic question. Thank you, Matthew. That's uh, we did cover that. Uh, let me cover the Ethereum point, and then um, Andy, maybe if you want to take the uh, the Bitcoin point there, and oh, sorry, the Flux part, because I think you're the you you might well you could be the spokesman for Flux. So that's <laughs> I'll let you take Flux. I'll take Ethereum. Ethereum is an incredible call it world computer smart contract platform it takes what bitcoin initiated and it builds on top of that with being hey why don't we make money programmable so let's create smart contracts what does that mean it means that we built in or we build in conditions that when our true a transaction occurs so um if all the conditions of a bond are met then the funds move from uh, one wallet to another. Uh, if an NFT is sold, then the original artist has a certain percentage of the funds. Things like this where we're, we're programming in conditions into the contract or into the transfer. And it has a lot of promise where, where Bitcoin is more just like a cryptocurrency. Send a rare digital asset be it Bitcoin, from one wallet address to another. Uh, Ethereum does that, but it also layers on top of that conditions that can be programmed into the transaction. On top of that, Ethereum allows you to add on additional tokens, so like USDT, USDC, SHIB, 
etc all actually on top of the ethereum blockchain we mine it today so i know andy does it i mine it i know russell you're in the crowd to adventure russell he's up here near the near the top he also mines ethereum i'm sure there's a few other ethereum miners in the crowd wacky mindset wacky madness you do it too it's a terrific source of passive income now we are going to proof of stake and what that means is that we're going to get off of proof of work proof of work uses gpus or in some cases asic miners so they're like computers they run they solve a, a math problem they solve a block and the blockchain moves forward they want to move to a more energy efficient proof of stake where instead of putting up computer hardware as your collateral and participating in the decentralized network what you're doing is you're putting up uh coins so ethereum as your collateral and you're saying i'm going to run a computer program to validate the next block i participate in both i do both mining and i also do staking of ethereum uh i'm I'm a bit pedantic in that I like to know my private keys, so I run the node myself for Ethereum. Uh, it looks like a little cable box. Uh, I have my Ethereum staked on the blockchain, and I participate in the beacon chain as it is right now. Going forward, once the merge completes, that'll shut off proof-of-work mining for Ethereum, and then proof-of-stake will continue forward for Ethereum. The return on investment right now is pretty poor on proof of stake Ethereum. It's at about 3.8 to 4%. So, I mean, it's, it's not much better than the government yield and Ethereum prices aren't doing very well. But after it goes proof of stake, it should bump up into at least um, 8 to 10%. Maybe could even get up into 16 to 20%. I kind of err on the side of 8 to 10%. But it's a terrific way to participate in Ethereum. There's also other ways you can do it through pools. So you can pool your Ethereum. You can also do it through exchanges. But then you start to layer on exchange risk and, you know, what are they doing behind your back type of thing. I like to, I like to be in control. I like to own the asset and no one's getting in my way. Uh, that is supposed to happen in September, which, yes, that's next month. Um, that's what their roadmap says. But they continue to run into problems. And I think things that are happening with other blockchains on there really bring up the need for zero tolerance on errors. And they need to make sure this thing works perfectly. So I think they'll continue to delay it, maybe into December. And that's okay. I'm fine with it. You got to make sure this thing works perfectly. And if that takes you till March of 2023, so be it. Who cares? Get this thing nailed perfect. Uh, I hope that kind of gives you a bit of insight in where things are going, but Ethereum is going proof of stake, and that does give it an edge over Bitcoin in terms of the one, two biggest players in the room. Uh, if it can deliver on proof of stake and become energy efficient like that, it's really, it's going to come after Bitcoin. I love both. I love Bitcoin. I love Ethereum. Uh, and it's great to see one of them say, hey, we're going to go proof of stake and Excited to see how it goes. Eddie, why don't you give us your take on Flux? Yeah, so um, uh, Flux is a project where they want to be um, 
the uh, Amazon Web Services of the Crypto Web 3 world. Um, and instead of servers being in a centralized data center uh, like uh, Amazon, it's uh, spread out across a bunch of user-run computers they call uh, Flux nodes. And uh, so you have a certain number of um, Flux coins. You can run a Flux node with the right hardware to support the network, and you get rewarded. Uh, it's also mineable. So I think Flux is one of the places where after the Ethereum merge, after Ethereum 2.0, whatever it happens, maybe this year, probably next year, maybe years from now, Vitalik uh, will push things off forever. Um, whenever it does happen, I think Flux is going to be one of the places where lots of that hash power is going to settle. I think it's going to be a big disruptor in the space when that happens. I think the mining, uh, GPU mining, crypto mining space is going to be um, decimated temporarily for probably six to 12 months. And then uh, the hash will find its way onto other blockchains that will then um, slowly appreciate in price to support all that hash power. And I think Flux will be uh, one of those. But there's a, it's a cool project. It's um, Grassroots is a fair launch, um, not venture capital backed like m most everything else in the space. You have to mine it or run a node to get it if you don't want to buy it uh, directly. Um, cool team. Um, and I've been with that. I've been on that project since 2018 when it first uh, launched. But pretty excited about that one long term. Where can I learn more about Flux Andy? In... Uh, just check out their Twitter and go to their website, Run on Flux runonflux.io I believe uh, I've got several videos that talk about Flux a lot um, yeah great and so if I wanted to I go to your YouTube channel I just go to YouTube I search your friend Andy and on there you're going to have a ton of videos on Flux how to set up a node how to GPU mine it do you have anything on that too I don't have a t I don't have a video on either of those most of my stuff is just information about what Flux is and how the yep. nodes work and how their par parallel assets and other features work. Um, and then I talk about how it fits into my passive income uh, strategy and stuff like that. But no, there's plenty of great uh, people um, out there who if you get Flux node tutorial. You find several really great ones on YouTube. Awesome. Um, David, you run a Flux node and I think you're also bullish on Ethereum. Do you want to, maybe just circle what Andy and I have been talking about and if you had anything to add maybe? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think Flux is a really cool project. You think of um, the internet and we just have had some weird downtimes here or there um, having a, and even government shutting down websites. You know, one of the cool things about Flux is they're hosting stuff, you know, so uh, governments can't shut it down. It's a decentralized network. I think it's pretty cool. Um, yeah, so I mean, at, at Ethereum, you know, it's... Uh, it has the best chance right now of being that uh, framework that we build all this cool new stuff on from a, you know, from a crypto economy. Uh, I think layer twos on Ethereum are just going to be huge. Um, we're going to hopefully at some point we have a stock market on, uh, on Ethereum, you know, um, I just think it, it just, it makes too much sense. It's, 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 it's such a perfect platform for, uh, for, yeah, for programmable money. And I think one of the really cool things that we'll see that's happening, you know, I know I, I, I make fun of bonds a lot. Um, it's kind of one of my things, I guess. But uh, <laughs> I, I really think we'll see the new risk-free rate of the Internet be the yield uh, that we see on, on, on Ethereum staking. I really think that'll, that'll be the new, um, new risk-free rate. 
Love it, man. I've never heard that before. The risky way to the internet. Love it. Um, Lord, Tom, did you have any questions on either Bitcoin, Ethereum, Flux? I do. I was wondering if there is an example in the crypto world that's kind of like buying indexes versus picking individual stocks. There's not a good one. Oh, I mean, I guess there are some. So there's um, like the DeFi Pulse Index, uh, which is DPI. Uh, there's the Bed Index, which Bankless. Uh, they're they're really good products that I like. Some it's like Bitcoin, Ethereum, and then um, some DeFi blue chips. So you could buy that. Um, but really, when you look at the market cap dominance, if you buy Bitcoin and you buy Ethereum, you pretty much own the space because uh, there's a ton of other market cap that's in stable coins. So if you just want to say, hey, I just want to own the crypto market, if you own Bitcoin and you own Ethereum, you pretty much own the market. Thank you. So, Lauren, what are you going to buy tomorrow? We um, yeah, we're still just we're just still just doing Ethereum and Bitcoin. I don't even know if we're DCAing. I think we're just kind of throwing it kind of willy nilly again. Like we're hammering the brokerage account since early retirement is like in sight. We're definitely coastify with our retirement accounts and our real estate's paying our bills. So we're trying to hammer the uh, hammer the brokerage that we have that for like vacations and cars and stuff like that to get some flexibility. So kind of just a little bit here and there, but I have some to-dos from this space already. Definitely going to buy some uh, real softy and kind of revisit our Ethereum and, and Bitcoin situation because I haven't, I haven't done much in a while. I think my husband's been doing it, but it, you know, I haven't noticed it going out of the account. So it's probably not enough. That's awesome. I, I, yeah. Lord, why, why don't you talk a little bit about yourself with, cause you're, you're 29 still. I'm sorry, I've known you for too long. Yeah, it might be 30 now, but you're 29. <laughs> you almost have fire. You do have some crypto, but not a whole lot. But your your main thing is, like you were saying before, real estate and short-term rentals, correct? Yeah, yeah. So I'm 32. My husband is 29, remember? I'm uh, cradle robin like Tom. No, you're still 29. Okay, go on. Okay, yeah, of course, yes, I'm supposed to say that. Yes, I'm 29. Uh, no, I'm so stoked. My husband's going to be 30 this month. Like, I can't wait for him to join me in my 30s. Um, yeah, we have uh, eight short-term rentals, four long-term rentals. Our real estate pays all of our bills. My husband and I still have, we, we self-manage those. We still have our W jobs. And we've got, you know, a few hundred thousand in our retirement accounts, and we're we're coming up on a hundred thousand in the brokerage, and I'm just, it would be embarrassing on this conversation to tell you what our crypto situation is. I think it might have been ten grand before this. Uh, I don't know. This is crypto winter too. I don't know what we're doing, but it's it's, it's definitely not ten grand anymore like it was. <laughs> I probably lost ten grand during the spaces <laughs> on, uh, on on crypto. I haven't had a chance to check it out. I haven't waited much yet. Uh, not just that. And Andy's like, please. <laughs> uh, okay. So Lauren, how do you participate by, or do, like, how, how do you do crypto? Sorry. I, I don't know how to phrase it. How do you? Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Cryptocurrencies? Yeah. Yeah. So before yeah. I like really talk to you, no, no, it's fine. Like before I talk to you and like, before I, you introduce me to Andy, and I had Andy on my podcast to kind of talk about this stuff. 
I um, just bought like I think like thousand dollars, maybe like five hundred dollars of of Bitcoin and five hundred dollars of Ethereum in Weeble, which like I didn't want to do Robinhood, so I did Weeble because I don't know. Like that was like okay, this is owning this is owning crypto. I have crypto. And then finally, I talked to you and you're like, you idiot, you were way nicer about it. You're like, you should have it in FTX, right? So I read the Bitcoin standard at, um, I think, I can't remember if you were Andy. I think maybe you recommended that to me. And then I read it before I talked to Andy. And then so my husband has the FTX account. I think he put, you know, I don't know, five, seven, something like that, thousand dollars in there. And then, um, Andy, you recommended another book. I'm trying to get my dad into crypto. So my dad has this FTX account now. And then Andy recommended a book. I can't remember what, it, what the exact title is. It was like, I will make this easy for you or something like that. And so I got my dad that book for his birthday. And now he has an FTX account. So that's it. That's that's where we're holding things. I didn't know. Like, I, I truly just didn't know. Okay, I own crypto. I didn't know. Like, I don't know. My, I, I could not transfer it from Weeble to a wallet and things like that. So learning every day. And it's literally thanks to you, too. Yeah, it, it can be a little weird and daunting at the start, kind of like when you launch a web browser for the first time when you're, you know, 12 or 10 years old type of thing. But one, once you get used to it, it's almost just like another language and it just makes total sense. Like I've probably done, oh, I'm actually curious for you, Andy, how many transactions you've done, but I've I got to be approaching 3,000 transactions on cryptocurrency that I've made. You make a lot as a miner just because you get deposited maybe three or four days. And I've never had a problem. They've always arrived exactly as expected. And uh, I've never been hacked or had a problem or had funds pulled out. I have lost money on, for example, Solana. And, you know, prices move up and down. But you can have zero problems with cryptocurrency if you if you stick to sound principles and stuff. But I'm, I'm curious, Andy, because you've been in this since 2017. David, you've been in it since 2020. How many cryptocurrency transactions have you made, do you figure? I don't, I don't even know how to quantify that, Steve. I don't know. That, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, I mean, every single day I have, I don't tens or hundreds of transactions. I don't know. I've got all this crazy passive stuff and my nodes all have multiple transactions per day and even every several hours and my mining comes in every day and I'm buying and converting stuff. Tens of thousands? I, I couldn't tell you. A lot. I don't pay attention okay. to uh, Have you ever had a problem? Um, no. I mean, well, hey, hey, on, the, on a centralized exchange side, yes. On a blockchain side, no. What do you mean by that? Um, occasionally, centralized exchanges put wallets in maintenance, and you don't see confirmations till like days later. Uh, occasionally, they've got wallet issues, and you have to contact support, and they have to find the actual transaction hash and all that. But that's just dumb error on their end. That's not a fault of the blockchain failing. I've never had the blockchain actually fail to resolve. Um, in, in you know various DeFi things on Ethereum try to do a transaction or pay fees and then you you spend 60 or 70 dollars in gas fees and then the transaction fails but you've still spent that money you know these are my criticisms of, of things like that but then you know we got to try again and you know, maybe get it the second time so other than things like that like failures uh, or central exchanges no but never once has actually been a committed hash it goes through that's the beauty of it yeah i've never had any problems either 
Yeah, so, I mean, I've probably made not as many as you guys. Probably, you know, north of a thousand. Um, and I'll be honest, I shouldn't, but I still get nervous every time I send money somewhere and I check the <laughs> I check the the uh, address too many times. But um, but yeah, I mean, it is it is a uh, there's just responsibility there, right? So you have if you mess up, you mess up, and it's like you can't call the bank and have you fix it for you. So, you know, you're, you're responsible. And that's one of the things about crypto is you just realize like you're, you're completely responsible. Hey, I have, I have a question. This is like super random, but did anybody watch that documentary about God, what was the name of that exchange? Like in that wasn't an exchange. And then like the guy that ran it was like 30 and then he went to India and died of Crohn's disease and like supposedly died with the like wallet key, but there was no wallet. And, like, does anybody have like a take on that? Like, that's got to be really bad press for the crypto world. <laughs> it's Quadriga, right? Quadriga, yeah. I don't, I don't know anything about it honestly. That's like pre pre me getting really into crypto. Yeah, the, uh, crypto has survived things like that many times over at this point. Um, there's going to be many more failures and terrible oversight and things like that before crypto truly makes it to the mainstream and full adoption but yeah i mean is that is that bad for crypto uh short term yeah certainly i don't think it's really bad for crypto long term i think crypto is going to survive all those and more yeah and and andy i think in some ways it's better because it makes people actually hold their own keys i mean i i I just i can't i can't like tell you what it feels like i'm not like a super touchy person i'm pretty logical person but like the the there's just a certain feeling you have when you have a cold wallet that's yours and you have taken time or precaution to store your keys in a way that nobody else can touch them that you can retrieve them if you want to uh you know being able to recover a wallet you know i you know just practicing that and knowing that you know, it's, it's a really cool feeling yeah it's, it's like it's similar to holding a bunch of cash in your hand it's yours we don't do that a whole lot anymore but you can do that with crypto that's and that's a really unique and special thing um yeah I, I think it's pretty cool but that's you know if if you don't want to test your own stuff i think there's fine i think there's some good players out there i think like river for example i think they have a really great product i think that team has uh, done some really cool stuff i haven't used it but uh, personally but yeah from from following the their founder and their team uh, they they seem to be really great i, I, w- I would trust trust them to to maybe do it but um but then you know it's, it's always a third party it's just always a third party and weird stuff can happen and it's unpredictable so uh but if you hold it it's it's up to you and if it gets lost it's your fault you know so yeah if you're uh, looking to buy dollar cost average into bitcoin yeah i'll, I'll echo river.com i've i've done nearly six figures of bitcoin purchasing through River, and they just updated. In fact, Dave sent me this on uh, DM, and I totally forgot to reply because that's just me on Twitter. Sorry. Um, but they just introduced dollar cost uh, averaging uh, on River that is fee-less. I believe you pay a fee the very first transaction, then all your other your subsequent ones after that are fee-free or DCAing. All your uh, just standard buys, of course, have fees. But River's a really great company. Uh, River.com, I really like them. Or if you want to do small amounts, um, there's always Strike. Strike is another fantastic Bitcoin company. Um, you get the Strike app. You get uh, you 
get verified on it. You can buy up to $1,000 of Bitcoin per week without any fees to buy, sell, uh, transfer, etc. cetera uh, on there. Um, as long as it's under that threshold, $1,000 per week. And if you send money to it, you can also have it dollar, uh, dollar cost average for you. But yeah, I highly recommend those two for uh, Bitcoin. Andy, it's funny you mentioned your DMs because I think I DM'd you today and you haven't responded. And I'm real sad about it. <laughs> I... Uh, I apologize to anybody who's ever DM'd me. I get, I don't know, 25 or 50 of the things a day. Uh, most of it's like projects reaching out, wanting to be on my YouTube channel, something like that. But there's lots of legit ones I wish I could get to. But I just, sometimes I get like an analysis paralysis where I just don't want to look at any of them. They just pile up. And so, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry, Lauren. I will I will respond to you, I promise. It's, it's not a big deal. It's just funny that you haven't mentioned that. I was like, hmm, wonder what that's about. Um no, but one of the reasons I asked about the Quadriga thing was I was wondering what you guys think about regulation and if there's a place for it in the industry and what that should look like. Um, regulation, uh, as much as I want to be anti-government and I want to be a, uh, I want the world to be, you know, everyone does what you know works for them as long as it hurt for other people, uh, do their own thing and almost lawless and no regulation wild west as much as i like all that stuff as an ideal maybe uh the reality is, is we probably need uh, substantial regulation in the space for it to become successful long term for most people um so my hope is that we will have really good um uh legislation passed to introduce regulation into the space that is healthy for the space and then the last bill i looked at that was recently introduced by the two senators um was actually a pretty positive bill um i looked it over made a video on it uh, there's a few things maybe that I have concern about, but overall, it's a it's a good step in the right direction. So I really think that something like that could be beneficial long term for crypto. My concern, the concern though, is is that um, if enough bad things happen, then there is the um, the motivation on the other end of the spectrum to pass regulation that maybe isn't so favor- favorable for long term adoption of crypto. And so that's kind of my fear with it. Do I think that will actually kill crypto or or whatever? No, I think you know it might just delay. Uh, all you know, crypto truly taking over, um, but yeah, long term, I'm uh, I'm pro um, good and and uh, effective regulation in the space. Yeah, I don't know. I it's it, it's hard. I, I think as long as it's really limited, but just my concern with all regulation is it never stays limited. <laughs> so once it starts, it's really hard to to walk that back. Uh, usually, the government doesn't once they have control over something, they don't give it up. So I don't know. I mean, I, the, I, I think though, if we are going to see real adoption, like it, as Andy talks about, like you know, um, as it being the reserve court currency, hyper uh, Bitcoin Bitcoinization, um, like we're going to have to have some regulation. Uh, and I think there's a lot of big institutions that probably want to get some exposure to Bitcoin. They probably want to get some exposure to Ethereum, but without um, without some regs in place, they, they're not going to do it. Hey guys, it's just me, Lauren. I know you probably think that that ended pretty abruptly, and we thought so too. Not sure what exactly happened. We did have a good laugh in Twitter DM afterwards about how interesting it is that things cut off right when we were talking about regulation. But because we were right about at time, we decided to go ahead and wrap for this week, and we'll see you next week.